Let's come to our God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can freely read your word and have it explained to us. We thank you for the freedom we enjoy in this land. And Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will minister to our needy hearts today. That you will strengthen us, Lord, through your word and through your spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. I am the only Christian in my family. This makes it difficult for me. When I first became a Christian, I was very open and enthusiastic. I could not stop telling everybody about Jesus and invited many people to my house to talk about him. It did not take a lot of time before people got offended. And then I got arrested by the police and spent two months in jail for my faith. It's the story of a young man by the name of Samuel. Persecuted for Christ on account of his faith. I did some research this past week to just understand the suffering, the persecution that our brothers and sisters in Christ are going through in many parts of the world. No doubt brings us to tears to sadness, to ask questions as to why, what is happening and why is God allowing suffering to take place, particularly for his people in this world. 100 million Christians around the globe are currently suffering persecution for their faith. You can look at it on open borders. Uh, Barnabas Foundation gives us insight into the suffering and persecution that Christians are going through in this world. 100 million approximately are suffering around the globe because of their faith. And most often persecution takes the form of imprisonment, abuse, hostilities. In some cases, however, Christians are asked to face more than scorn, prison or the loss of health. They're asked to face death itself. I had friends from my own country back in Sri Lanka who told me a story last time when we were there, last year in fact, of a Christian pastor who was attacked because he was leading his congregation in the Lord. This is the kind of environment in which we are ministering today in the world. And Peter this morning speaks about a suffering, a suffering that comes on account of bearing the name of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so today we're going to look at this topic, present suffering and future glory. And I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 16, which is the basis of our text for this morning. Let me give you the context very quickly. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11, Peter gave us, and we saw this, four practical ways that we are to live in the Christian community as brothers and sisters in Christ. Alright? We are God's family. Is that agreed? In Christ, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. That is a fantastic thing. I don't have any family here apart from Rose and my, my, my parents and of course my children, our children. And I said to her just a couple of weeks ago, I said, one of the hardest things for me, and I'm, I'm sure for us who are migrants here, 
is that we miss our families, don't we? We miss uh, those who have children overseas. Or you got your brothers or your cousins and your extended family. You miss them. Well, I do. I love this place. I love my family. Of course I do. But I don't have any brothers and sisters in the natural flesh either. I'm the only child. But I have you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. And others who I know who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that gives us great encouragement to know and to serve our great and awesome God. And the the Apostle Peter gave four practical ways in which we ought to live. And I won't go into all of those details because we've covered it already. He says, um, these are the things, isn't it? Think rightly and be clear-minded so you can pray. Chapter 4, 7 to 11. Be earnest in love for one another as love covers a multitude of sin. Be graciously hospitable. Serve one another with the gifts that God has given to you, that you received from God. And so we are called as God's people to think rightly, clear-minded, so that we can pray, be earnest in our love for one another, look out for one another, support and encourage one another in our love. Because we need that, don't we? We do. We need that love. We need that encouragement as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because there are moments, I'm sure, in your life and mine, when we are up on the mountain clouds, whistling while we work, or singing while you work, and there are times when you're down in the doldrums, right? There are times when you are in the valley. And those moments, you need your brothers and sisters in Christ to support and encourage one another. Be hospitable. Open up your places. Invite people to your homes. Enjoy some food, whatever it is. Enjoy times together and serve one another with the gifts that God has given you. If you've got a gift, use it. Don't bury it. Say, God, you have given me one life to live. As we heard this morning, that story to the boys and girls, we will all one day Unless Christ comes before that, the reality is we will die. And I mean, I don't want to think about those, but it is going to be a reality. It will happen. I don't know when in God's timing it will happen. So I get up every morning when I get up, I say, Lord, you have given me a new day to live. It's a fresh day. I know it's freezing sometimes early morning, but it's a new day. I will live this day for you by your grace, and I want to serve you with the grace that comes from knowing you. I want to serve my brothers and sisters in Christ, my family. I want to serve you because you have given me the gifts to serve you. And so it is within this context that Peter speaks about this kind of a suffering that he continues to expand. In fact, he's spoken about it Previously, in one of the chapters as well, is alluded to the subject of suffering, and we have looked at some aspects of suffering in the past. Now Peter says this, Dear friends, verse 12, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. You see, Peter addresses themselves as dear friends. In the original, it means beloved You are my beloved people. And in doing so, he expresses his personal love and affection for them. It is a principle of leadership. 
If you are a leader in the church, then we are called to love the people that God has called us to serve. Right? He's called us to love love you. Right? And he addresses themselves as beloved, a personal affection. And Peter says to his readers, do not think it strange at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you. Now, we don't specifically know the exact details of the fiery trial that he is referring to. We know something in the history of this, uh, at the particular time that Peter was writing. You see, we know that these Christians were experiencing um, cultural isolation. They were experiencing personal hostility because of their faith in Jesus. I don't think they expected hostility and trials for being a Christian. But Peter says this is a fiery ordeal. The word that is used here is a word for a furnace, which is used to melt down metals and purify metals by taking away impurities so that the genuine metal will stand out. A refining process. In the Old Testament, fire was a symbol of the holiness of God. It was a symbol of the presence of God. God himself in the Bible is described as a consuming fire in the book of Hebrews. And here Peter sees in the image of fire a refining process. And therefore these Christians are to see what was happening to them as a refining process as they went through this furnace of trial. Have you ever been through a a trial in your life? A particular fiery trial for being a Christian that has tested your faith, that has brought you to the point of breakdown in your life? There are times, aren't there, when we go through that fiery ordeal, that fiery trial that brings us to our knees and times that the tears just keeps pouring down because you just don't know what is going on in your life. The refining process, a testing time of the genuineness of our faith. And Peter says it is a testing, this is kind of a testing process. You see, Peter already spoke about this kind of thing in 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 and 7. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that, the, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire to prove it. This fiery trial comes because they are Christians. They come because they are faithful to God. They come because they, they bear the name of Christ. They come for us to test us. Now, my question is this. Why would God want to send fiery trials for his people? Why? Why would he want to do that? Why would he want to do that? Right. I don't know a specific answer to this. But one thing we do know is that when he sends us these tests or these trials, that they may be so severe that it tests us and it brings us to a point of dependence to a point of trust. And through it, we see the faithfulness of God coming through, don't we? The, you see, there's a story in the Bible about Daniel. Remember Daniel? What happened to Daniel and his friends? They went through this fiery furnace. 
for not wanting to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar and his great golden statue. And at the end of it, they come out and the praise is to God because they've been through that fiery furnace and God had delivered them out of that and they are strengthened in their faith. And so, friends, this morning, I don't know what specific fiery trial that you may have gone through because of your faith in Jesus. Maybe God has put you through the test, through something in your life. But I trust that as you look back, you will see the faithfulness of our God who has carried you through that situation and brought you safely to this present day. That is grace. You see, the, the early church faced severe trials. We see it through the history of the church. Let me say this. For example, in the first 300 years of the church's existence, the church went through the fires of persecution. Christians suffered immensely on account of their faith in Christ. This period has been called in church history, it's been called the heroic age of the church. Because Christians suffered immensely. They suffered under Emperor Nero. They were set alight. They were thrown to the lions. To the lions. You see, Nero was riding along in his chariot, enjoying, enjoying the horrific and terrible scenes around him of seeing Christians being killed and thrown to the lions alive. This was not the only emperor who persecuted Christians. I think of another guy I was reading about in this past week, Marcus Aurelius. This is the guy who was a Roman emperor. This guy decreed that the wealth and property of Christians should be taken from them and given to their accusers. And Christians all over were sought out and often executed with cruelty while their property was taken from them and given to others. Shocking, isn't it? But through it all, the church of the Lord has persevered. And it seems that when there is persecution, the church begins to grow stronger. I was at a luncheon a couple of weeks ago. And I heard um, this speaker from a a country which I will not name this morning. Uh, he, He said this, he said this, that there is every possibility that the wealth of Christians in this particular country will be taken over by a government decree. We're talking about today, 2013. Will be taken over by a government decree that will be passed in parliament so that the wealth of the richest Christians will be taken from them and given to others. It's happening today. See, George Whitfield, the great evangelist of the Second Awakening, he said this, I am now about to take orders and my degree and go into the world. What will become of me, I know not. All I can say is, I look for perpetual conflicts and struggles. It's a nice thing, isn't it? We get our guys to graduate from college, give them the exit certificate, give them another certificate and say, well, well done. There's something else we need to say say to these guys. Well, the battle is going to begin, brother. And you better get ready 
for the challenges that lies ahead. So, how should the readers of Peter's letter respond to this fiery trial? How should we respond to such trials? We see Peter says, don't be surprised. Be rejoicing. There are four aspects here. Be assured the Spirit rests upon you. And look ahead. Look ahead. Do not be surprised. The word that is used here for the word surprise or strange can be translated as do not be astonished. Do not be shocked. It is the word from which we get this word xenophobia, which is a fear of strangers. But in this context, it means don't consider it strange when you face the fiery trials that come your way. And Peter was writing at a time when Christian values and lifestyle contrasted with the values of the time in the Greco-Roman society they lived in. They were a minority and they suffered. This is tough for any Christian. Think about it. You become a Christian and you think, wow, everything is going to be right. All right? I am going to sail through life. I'm going to cruise through life. I have all the prosperity that God's going to give me. I will not know what to do with my wealth. I will not know what to do with anything because God's going to give everything to me. Now, God might do that. And I'm, we praise God if he does those things. What about if God would bring us suffering? What about persecution? What about when your friends turn around you and say, and they mock at you and say, hey man, you're, you're crazy. You're a crazy guy for following Jesus. Do you, do you understand? Are you for real? Are you living in 2013? Don't you understand? You live in a modern world. Well, how do you know that the Bible is true? How do you know that Christ is true? Are you crazy? No, you're not crazy. <laughs> because this word of God speaks. This word of God has been given to us. And God has revealed himself in his son Jesus. And people before us have been sent to the lions, burnt alive, tortured and killed, and have been persecuted today because they're crazy? Were the apostles who were martyred crazy? Of course not. Because they had seen Jesus Christ. They had met the risen Jesus. And the testimony of the scriptures, the testimony of the apostles, and the testimony of the persecuted church throughout the ages past right unto now is a testimony of God's amazing grace, his power, and his presence in this world through his church. So he says rejoice, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Rejoice! Literally means be constantly, joyfully rejoicing. It seems rather strange. How could one rejoice when, when you're suffering persecution? How? I mean, I sat in my office. You know, this past week was kind of wet weather conditions, right? Gloomy. I sat there in my office, I opened up my window, I looked at the sky, it was dark, it was gloomy, my light was on in my office, I'm writing this text and thinking, this doesn't make sense, God. This doesn't make sense. How are you, what are you saying in your word? How can we rejoice when there is persecution? How is it possible? I don't understand it. That's right. 
Thank you. Thank you for that feedback. <laughs> I just needed that, Margaret. You see, the point is, friends, the point is this, isn't it? It seems rather strange that you can rejoice. It doesn't, it doesn't add up. Why? Because we don't expect it. You see, let me say this. Our suffering comes as a result of our participation, our identification with the suffering and humiliation of Jesus. We suffer because Jesus suffered. Right? Yes, his suffering was redemptive. That is, he was crucified on the cross for our sins. Our suffering is not redemptive. But in our suffering, we bear his name. And in doing so, we share in his sufferings. And so Peter says, do not think it strange. Don't be surprised. This is a tough call. But rejoice. Rejoice because you are identifying yourself with Jesus. You are bearing his name. And this is what Peter says for us in 1 Peter chapter 4, 14 to 16. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a meddler and so forth. Count it a blessing. Why? Because you bear his name. I want to ask you a question this morning. Can you say, you don't have to answer this, please. I'm not expecting all these responses, all right? Think about it. Can you say in your heart that you bear and you know, you bear the name of Jesus in your life? Because if you bear the name of Jesus, you are a child of the true and living God. You bear the name of Jesus. It is a privilege and it is an honor. You bear the name of Jesus. You wear a badge of sacrifice. You, you bear the name of Jesus. You, bear, you, you wear the badge of suffering. You bear the name of Jesus Christ. You will wear the badge that says, Not my will, but your will, Lord, in my life. That's what it is, friends. To bear the name of Jesus is to bear the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You bear the name of the one whose name is above all names. If you are a Christian, then you bear the name of the one who suffered, the one who faced the fiery trial on the cross, and the one who was crucified, died, buried, rose to life, and is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Oh, what a blessing. Did you see that this morning? The blessing of being a child of God, the blessing of bearing the name of Jesus in your life. Oh, yes, what a blessing. Because if you bear the name of Jesus, your life is safe, your life is secure, and it is built soundly upon Christ, the solid rock. It's like those guys with the, with the kids talk this morning. The parachute, Christ will come and he will rescue us and he will come down with us as it were and rescue us. And he has done it because you bear the name of the Son of God. And that name, because you bear Christ, will take you from earth, from the grave, to eternity in heaven. That when you die and your body becomes cold as cold can be, your soul will be in heaven with Jesus. Why? Because you bear His name.
If you are a Christian, you bear the name of the one who loves you now. The one who loves you to eternity and, and count it a privilege. The blessing is not the suffering. The blessing here, as we see, is the presence of the Spirit of glory, the God and God present in the midst of such suffering. You see, persecution and insults are actually a blessing, not because pain is good in itself. Of course, we don't want pain. But because suffering for Christ proves that the spirit of glory is ours and will one day exalt us before the watching world. And when we face suffering on account of trust in Jesus, it is easy for us to ask questions like, where is God? Has God left me to my own resources? Is my suffering a sign of God's disfavor to me? Is this God's anger towards me? Does God really care? And Peter says this, the spirit of God rests upon you. There's a beautiful text in, um, in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. This is about Jesus, right? And then, look at what he says there. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Now this is upon Jesus. And the same spirit rest upon us so that we can rejoice in the midst of suffering. We can rejoice because by our suffering, for Jesus' sake, we know that we are truly His. We belong to Him. The Spirit of God of glory rest upon you. I mean, we can go on, can't we? <laughs> we can go on for hours to explain this concept. And just, just, just for a moment, just, just think for a moment. I know you're thinking, don't get me wrong. Right? This, this, this is what the text is saying. It is such a beautiful picture here. Right? I don't want us to miss the point here this morning. If you are insulted because verse 14 of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Covering you with his presence empowering you with his presence, comforting you with his presence, encouraging you to exalt the name of our God. So that when, when for example, when Stephen, the first martyr who was martyred, when he was being stoned to death, his face was shining. Because the spirit of glory and of God was resting upon him. Beautiful, isn't it? See, because God cares for his people. You see, never ever let anybody tell you this morning that God doesn't care for you. All right? He does. He cares for us immensely, personally, and powerfully. Because his spirit rests upon you. That is grace. You see, and Peter says this. I want to keep moving on. In verse 15, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer, a thief, or a criminal. You see there, the murderer or a thief, you can't suffer for those things and say, I'm suffering now because I'm a murderer. That's silly. You do wrong things, you have to pay consequences. If I go and rob a bank, I'll have to be in jail. That's given. And then I can't say, well, I'm suffering as a Christian because of that. Right? Or don't be a meddler. This is a very interesting word here. Yeah, I'll just say it very quickly. This word is used only here in the New Testament. 
and it is a reference to one who is a troubler, an agitator. It is a reference to a person who likes getting involved in another person's affair, causing agitation, anger, stirring up trouble. See, Paul says this, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should, not, you should mind your own business and work with your own hands. Don't worry about and be an agitator, all right? So, let's keep going. Peter says this. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And then in verse 13, I'm coming back to verse 13. Verse 13 in the text. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. The revelation of his glory will come in the day that Jesus returns. There will be no comparison. Soon God is going to put his suffering saints on display Soon they will share his glory in, the, in, in his son Jesus. Jesus will transform our suffering for him into glory. There's an unspeakable joy that comes from this. You see, we speak about joy, right? At Christmas time, what's a great carol that we sing? Joy, 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 come on. Joy to the world, right? We will be singing that in six months' time. It's going to come soon, all right? Better start doing your shopping now, end of year sales. Get things ready for Christmas. Then Christmas time, you can save up all your money. How's that? Now, I don't get any commissions from any, any companies to say that. Right? <laughs> the point is this, isn't it? Right? The point is joy. Right? It's a popular topic in our culture. Books are written about it. We sing joy to the world. Here is ultimate joy, the celebration of Christ's return. And this joy... Our tears will be turned to gladness. Our tears will be turned to joy when we see the face of Jesus. Oh, wow. Well, what, what a day that is going to be. See, Jesus said this, a quite interesting passage, uh, John chapter 16. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. When our two girls were born in Sri Lanka, I was not able to be there in the labor room. It's not a given thing in that country. I remember when I received the first call, 2 o'clock in the morning. It was a curfew in Sri Lanka. Army guys with their guns, blazed, standing there. I just took the car and I drove. I didn't care about the guns, nothing. They stopped me a few times. I said, my wife's given birth to a child. I am going to the hospital. A moment I saw Rose. Of course, I saw our daughter Tanya and then later on Jess. You know, the joy that comes. We can never share the pain of a woman giving birth. We, us guys, man, what do we know about that? <laughs> we just, and then when our son was born, of course, in Terang Hospital, I had the privilege of being there for the first time and seeing the whole process of birth. And man, that was awesome. But, but of course, the pain, I, I can't identify the pain. We don't know that. We don't know what pains a woman must go through. I, I think we will, God is good. He's, he's given women the capacity to handle that. I think us guys will just cringe. We don't know what to do. But when a child is born, for the mother who's carried that baby for eight, nine, whatever months, with all the pressures of the, and when the child, Jesus said, when the child is relieved and the baby is born, the mother doesn't think about the pain. 
I, I, I would think so. Right? She is looking at her baby and she is rejoicing, right? All moms here. You look at your child and say, wow, man, I've, oh, not man, woman, I've carried this for, for so many months. Look at the joy of this new baby. Jesus says, you know, your trials are something like that, isn't it? You will, you will again, you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. So friends, let me close then. I'll close with this story. It is one more Friday in Damascus. Not like any other, a divine presence at home. This is from a Christian in Syria. It is also intense, powerful, so powerful that it was able to drown all other sounds and to calm down the turbulence of the hearts. My wife Rana and I carried the loaded divine gift to the church and names the place. There, they say, the presence of God transcended above the darkness that was covering our earth. And they experienced the persecuted brothers and sisters. I, I saw this uh, uh, picture of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Syria sitting around the open word with food and sharing the scriptures. And the pain, the agony of it. And this guy says this, Should I cry or rejoice? Should I weep or shout for joy? Or rather, should I do both? I do not know what I should feel yet. I honestly have a strange mix of feelings that brings together the bottom of the pit of pain and just at the same time, the transcendence of the sweet love and power of the heavenly presence. We don't know what suffering really is, do we? Our brothers and sisters are right now. I want to encourage you to start praying from today on. I know you are, some of you are earnestly praying. I pray every day for the persecuted church. I want to encourage you to do that, friends. It brings tears to our eyes. Because our brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering immensely because they bear the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from all its bondage of de to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You may be going through a trial today. You might be suffering some, for something because you are a Christian. Trust, rejoice, do not think it's strange. Look ahead. Because our God is in control. Amen.